Well, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 12 through 15 as Peter describes his ministry of reminding. For 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 12 and read down through verse 15. So Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for our edification and our blessing. And he writes in verse 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, forgetfulness is kind of a plague that thrives within the human race. And unfortunately, it's kind of a progressive disease because the older we get, the more we, we forget. But it uh, plagues all of us, really, through life, doesn't it? We forget where we put our car keys. We leave the house. We forget to take our cell phone with us. Man, how many times have I done that? We go to another room and we can't even remember what we went into the room to get. We forget our promises. We forget the names of the people we know. We forget birthdays. We forget anniversaries. And we forget that we forget. I don't need to write it down, honey. I'll remember it says the husband to his wife as he walks out the door to the store, coming back with about half of the items he was supposed to pick up. We forget. Genesis chapter 40, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. One of the most unfortunate consequences of a leaky memory is that oftentimes we forget the Lord. We forget His gracious blessings. We forget His Word. In verse 9, Peter has already brought this to their attention, that whoever lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And that's why I think we need to be reminded of what Peter is going to remind us of in this passage. The heart of man, unfortunately, again, is just bent on forgetting God. And Moses and the prophets throughout the Old Testament had to continually warn Israel, don't forget your God. When I bring you into the land and you're prosperous and everything is going well, you'll become proud and you will forget the Lord. 
And I think that same reminder is appropriate for us. And I think that's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. He's actually exhorting himself to bless God and not to forget the benefits of the Lord because we have a tendency to do that. And when we do that, then we suffer the consequences. But to remember well requires reminders. And this is what the Apostle Peter is focusing on in our passage this morning, his ministry of continually reminding them of these great things. So we read again in verse 12, Peter says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So first off, we need to kind of get in the context and remind ourselves what Peter is talking about when he says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things. So what are the these things he's referring to? Well, again, it refers to probably verses 3 through 11 that precede this. And these are the major themes that he's been teaching them. In verses 3 and 4, he reminded them of the divine power that has given to them everything they need for life and godliness, including his precious and magnificent promises. He has given them. God has given them to us. He's given us everything we need for spiritual life and for living a life of godliness. And because God has done that, because of his grace and his power, which has given that to every believer, we should be motivated in verse 5 through 7 to seek out those seven virtues. The virtues that he's mentioned here about the the moral excellence and the knowledge and the self-control and the perseverance and the godliness and the brotherly kindness and love. We can seek those because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So therefore, be diligent to seek those virtues to grow in grace and Christ-likeness. And in verses 8 through 11, he's, he's told them that these virtues are necessary if you want to be fruitful in your Christian life. If you want to have a firm assurance of your salvation... And if you want to have an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom, then you need to grow in these virtues. So he says again in verse 12, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and you've been established in the truth which is present with you. So what he's emphasizing here is that these are not new truths. They are not things that are have not heard before. They're not a stranger to them. They're not obscure. They've been taught these things before, and they have actually been established in them. It's become a part of their life. But even having said that, Peter knows something that's very profound, is that regardless of how godly we may be today, there's no guarantee that we'll be godly tomorrow. 
there is always a danger of forgetting truth and slipping by the wayside. Truth and godliness can to a degree be lost in the life of a believer. Just ask Solomon. Solomon wrote a good portion of the book of Proverbs. Solomon received revelations from the Lord. Solomon lived out the truth. Solomon wrote the truth. He taught the truth, but he forgot the truth. Because of his foolishness and marrying all those wives, they stole his heart away, and there was a season of his life when he just kind of torpedoed down. He sunk spiritually. Now, God in his grace and mercy caused him to persevere towards the end. He repented and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes to express his pilgrimage through that dark time. But he's an illustration for us that sometimes we forget the things that we know, things that we've lived, things that we've been established in, and then our lives begin to reflect that. Peter knows this from personal experience, too. Remember back in Matthew chapter 16, when, asked, when Jesus asked the question, Who do men say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew that. He believed it. But moments later, he forgot it. For when Christ then told his disciples that he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the religious leaders, be killed and raised up on the third day, Peter had the audacity to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. Messiah, he rebuked the Son of God, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He forgot the one he was talking to the very profession that he made. This is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he quickly forgets and thinks he has the ability and the wisdom to rebuke the Messiah, the Son of God. It can happen very quickly. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. So Peter remembers his own failure to remember. And that's why he's so committed to reminding these readers of the things they have already been taught and even established in. The importance of frequent reminders is that truth oftentimes gets buried under a mountain of pressures and distractions and busy schedules and just stresses of life. I mean, we all have it. We all experience it. The Word of God that should stand as a security guard to protect us, to frisk every potentially dangerous thought that comes into our head is not there. The alarm system is not plugged in and turned on. That should make us fearful of falling into sin or to see the dangers of temptation around us. And the very power of the Word of God that can encourage our hearts and the light of Scripture that can guide us in times of darkness or the food of the Word of God to feed our soul is not there because we have forgotten. And we suffer similar consequences. 
So the great value of reminders is that it brings that truth back up into the forefront of our thinking before our eyes to meditate upon, to realign our life with again so that we can walk in the light of God's truth and reap the blessings from it. And that's why Peter is so focused on this ministry of reminding that we need all to regularly and persistently renew our minds in the Word of God because we all have a tendency to forget. That's why David could say in Psalm 1 of the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates, when? Day and night. He knows he may forget, so he meditates day and night. And what's the consequences? He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. Why? Because he has disciplined himself to regularly spend time in the Word of God so he doesn't forget as much as often. And I think that's what's on the heart of Peter. It's important that we not forget. Sadly, this, this tragedy can afflict nations as well as Christians and even churches. Carl Sandburg said, When a nation goes down, one condition may always be found. They forgot where they came from. So true today. James Orwell in his, Orwell in his classic book, 1984, writes of Winston working in the ministry of truth, which was really the ministry of falsehood. But, you know, they always want to give it the best face. And he's editing. His job was to edit history by cutting out the old history and putting in the revised version of the new history, which in effect destroyed the old history so that the past is forgotten. And then the lie becomes the truth. And those who control the past control the future. And those who control the present control the past. So that revisionist history makes you forget true history. And I think our country has forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten our roots. We've forgotten those founding principles that have made our country so so great. Christians can fall into a similar error where we forget those founding principles. We forget those truths of the gospel. We forget the word of God that is there to protect us and to grow us and to prosper us in the things of God. We forget those things and we need to be reminded. Satan is always at work to revise the truth, to change the truth, to distort the truth, and to make us forget the truth. And that can happen individually on, in, in our Christian lives as well as within a nation. And that's why it's so important that Peter wants to be always ready to remind them of these truths of the Word of God and of the Gospel. 
Because these truths are a shield. They are to protect us. They're a sword to fight the enemy with. They're wisdom to give us skill in living our life well. They convict us and expose our sin, which we need so often. They're medicine to encourage a wounded and bleeding heart, a suffering soul. They're food to nourish our hearts in our lives. And when we forget the Word of God, then we miss out on those incredible blessings that the Word should give to us. So Peter goes on and he says in verse 13 and 14, And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So here Peter is saying, you know, this ministry of reminding, it's right that I do it. It's good, it's proper that I engage in this ministry. And what I really want to do, Peter says, is I want to stir you up with my reminders. And it's interesting that this word to stir someone up is used a number of times in the New Testament of waking someone up who has fallen asleep. And I think that's kind of the idea in the back of Peter's mind. The world has a tendency to give us its own sleeping medicines, to just dole us out spiritually so that we're not alert, we're not vital in pursuing Christ or trying to live for the Lord, and we just become spiritually sleepy-headed. We become dozing. We, we just become in that state where we're not tuned in and we're just kind of fogged out. And the world continually wants to bring us into that condition. And Peter says, not on my watch. I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to keep telling you these gospel truths, these incredible biblical truths, so that you'll be stirred up in your life, so that you'll be activated. You won't be on the sidelines. You won't be inactive. You won't be sleepwalking in your Christian life. You'll be fully awake. This is a ministry of reminding to stir people up, to continually bring our lives in line with Scripture, something that's vital for us. And then Peter moves on into verse 15. I'll come back to 13 and 14 in a minute. But he says, And I will also be diligent to do this ministry, to remind them, so that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. So in other words, what Peter is doing is he's investing in the future. He says, I am diligently committed to reminding you of these truths so that when I'm gone, you'll remember them. Because I'm going to keep reminding you so often, I'm going to keep watering those truths in your life and heart and mind so that they begin to take root downward, so that they can bear fruit upward. And I'm going to keep doing it so that when I'm gone and taken away, then you'll be able to call these things to mind and not forget them. So Peter is committed to this ministry until the day of his death. 
There wasn't any apostolic retirement program. So he was committed, look, until I'm here, till my departure date, this is what I want to do because I love you and I want you to have these, these truths embedded within your heart bearing fruit for the glory of God. And there's a sense of urgency that, that Peter communicates here because look back again at verse 13 and 14. He's, I, he says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. So the laying aside of his earthly dwelling being imminent is something that Peter reflects in here, knowing that his departure is coming soon. It's imminent. It's going to happen in the near future. Now, we might assume that Peter is in Rome. We also might assume that he's an old man. And that Nero, Caesar Nero, is terrorizing the church. And Peter senses that his days are extremely numbered. Of course, we know they're always numbered by God, but that he only has a short time left before his end will come. When he says at the end of verse 14, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, many believe that Peter is thinking back on his conversation with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. And that's when Jesus told Peter, if you remember, in John 21 verse 18, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And then John adds, Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And many think that Peter is reflecting upon those words. Possibly the Lord has given Peter a a more recent revelation that his dwelling is going to be laid aside, a euphemism for death. And that's imminent. Maybe it was a direct revelation. We don't know for sure. But notice twice, once in verse 13, once in verse 14, he refers to his body as an earthly dwelling. The literal word for that is a tent. It's a tabernacle. And so Peter is referring to this earthly body as a tent. And a tent, by using this language, Peter is referencing that life in this earth, in this body, is very temporary. That our bodies are very frail. They're like a collapsible tent. They're very mobile, but they're certainly not a permanent structure. They're certainly not eternal. And that this is the home of pilgrims today. This is our home. It's this earthly tent. It's this body which won't last forever. It has an expiration date on it. It will one day need to be checked in and our soul must leave it because it will not last. It's going to wear out. It's transitory and one day will be replaced. So for the believer... 
Death is that call to break camp, to lay aside the old, worn-out, fragile tents of these physical bodies, that body, that tent in which we have often groaned and been burdened, this body that has brought blessings and trials into our life, and there will be a time when we will lay aside this earthly tent as we grow, our, our soul leaves the body to meet the Lord and see him face to face. In other words, there will be awaiting the day, ultimately, when Christ comes back, when the last trumpet of God shall sound, and these tents, which have been worn out and discarded and laid in the ground, and our soul is with the Lord, but these tents one day also will be changed. Because when that last trumpet sounds, these bodies of the dead in Christ will rise and be clothed with a new dwelling, as Paul refers in 2 Corinthians 5, a new building from God, a house not made with hands, a house that will last forever in heaven. So what is sown, this tent will be sown in the ground as a perishable body, but it will be raised an imperishable body. It will be sown in dishonor, sowed into the ground in dishonor, raised in glory. It will be buried in the ground in weakness, but it will be raised in power. It will be sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. And I think this is kind of in the back thoughts of Peter as he's referencing that day, which is very near, it's very imminent, when he's going to die and lay aside his physical body. He's aware of his departure also, and in verse 15, he gives another little insight as he's thinking about the day of his death. For in verse 15, he says, after my departure, which literally in the Greek references the word exodus. And I think Peter is thinking back of the great exodus of the Old Testament when God came and delivered Israel out of its slavery in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I think for the believer, certainly with Peter, when he thought about his death, he thought of it as an exodus where we leave this old world with all of its struggles and all of its pains and all of its trials and all of its sin, and we're brought out of Egypt, the spiritual bondage that we still have to a degree, even though we're believers in this world, and we exit this world as we enter the world to come with Christ forever. And I think that word exodus gives an insight to the hope that believers should have, that Peter had. That yes, we will die. Yes, we will lay this physical body aside. But it's merely an exodus. We're leaving this old sinful life of slavery and we're entering into the freedom and glory of Jesus Christ. It truly is a spiritual exodus that believers have to look forward to. So when a believer dies, there is certainly sorrow. There is naturally sorrow. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. 
But we must also keep in mind Psalm 116, verse 15, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. They may leave us, and our hearts may be broken, but in joy we know where they are, and we know that they're with Christ, and we can find joy in that. And what I see in Peter's reminiscing on his imminent departure from this physical tent and his commitment to the ministry of reminding until the day of of his death that it is a mark of wisdom to be aware of our temporary existence, that death looms in the horizon for all of us unless Christ comes back, and no one knows when that will be. But it gives us an awareness of our passing, of our death, gives us perspective in life. It's like the fool in Psalm 49 that thinks he's going to live forever. He never thinks about his days being limited and numbered. He hadn't even thought about his death, so he gives himself to folly and chasing after the wind and building his life on the chaff which one day will be destroyed. Those who don't have a thought to the future in this regard are like that silly little boy that's sitting on the the beach and he's building a sandcastle and the water's behind him and with every wave that comes in, it just comes up a little bit further on the beach and a little bit further getting closer and closer to his back. And will within a minute will completely destroy this sandcastle that he has built. And so many people are so busy building that little sandcastle, totally oblivious to the tide of time that's coming up behind us and will catch them unawares and totally demolish, demolish the work of their hands if it's not for the Lord. There's a great wisdom even in youth, of being aware that our days are numbered, so live them and spend them wisely. William Gladstone was a Christian prime minister of Great Britain, and he had a young man come to his office for a visit one day, and Prime Minister Gladstone asked him, what are you going to do with your life? And the young man responded, well, sir, I I hope to go to Cambridge. And then the prime minister said, then what? He says, well, sir, after I get out of college, I hope to work for a law firm. The prime minister said, then what? He says, well, sir, after I've worked in a law firm for a period of time, I hope to serve in, in government, maybe even be prime minister like you, sir. And the prime minister asked him, then what? He said, well, I guess after I retire as prime minister, I'll write a book. Then what? Well, I guess I'll grow old and I guess I'll die. Then what? And the young man said, well, sir, I've never been much for religion I really don't know. And the prime minister said, young man, you ought to go home right now. 
You need to kneel by your bed and open up the Word of God, the Bible. And you need to think life through to the very end. That is wisdom, my friends, is to know that we're not here forever, that we're here for a number of days allotted to us by the plan of Almighty God. And if we want our lives to count, we'll be mindful that that is a limited supply of days. And even if you're young here this morning, You have no idea how many days God will grant you. So live it for the Lord. Live it for Him. Be reminded of the gospel and the truths of Scripture and let them impact your life. Because this is the wisdom that Peter lived with, the apostles lived with, that we need to live with as well. You see, the wise man considers that life is temporary. You see it in Peter's words here. That life here is frail and our days are few in number. And so we need to have, oh God, teach us to be wise. Psalm 39 says, Lord, make me know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. See, that's a good prayer. That's a wise prayer. And we're told in Psalm 90 that as for the days of our life, they may contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. My mom just turned 96. Some, some get extra years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. That, that applies to old people and it applies to young people because that's wisdom. To know that our days are numbered So back in verse 15, Peter is saying that I want to be diligent that at any time after my departure, my exodus, when God takes me home and I'm no longer here to remind you that I've been faithful to my ministry enough to where those truths have been embedded within your heart and soul. I have watered them by reminding you of them. They have taken root they have borne fruit and that will make my my joy great in heaven i think is what he would add to that they will call these things to mind so that for peter when he departs he will go into his father's house that will be the day of his great homecoming and he will be gone the ministry will be over but hopefully the results and the fruit will last. But until Peter's exodus, until he arrives home in heaven, he is committed and diligent to carrying out this ministry of reminding the saints of the truth of the gospel and the precious promises of Scripture. That's why, parents, it's so important for you to remind your kids and thousand times at least it takes of these great biblical truths as well. 
but we must all understand how much we, like Peter's readers, need to be reminded of the gospel and God's truth regularly. Which means that you and I need to make a personal commitment to the ministry of reminding on our own account by spending time in the Word of God so we might be stirred up with these truths that we know that we've even been established with, but we need to be reminded of them so that the truths stir us up on the inside and impact our life. We need that ministry of reminding. I close with Spurgeon, who was preaching at a church in Haverville in England. He was preaching on Ephesians 2.8. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. His grandfather was in the audience. His grandfather had been a preacher as well for over 50 years, a godly man. And he was listening to his distinguished grandson preach And as Charles began to set forth the doctrine of the total inability of people to come to Christ on their own, that you could hear the grandfather kind of say in a low tone, good, good. And then as Spurgeon started to wax eloquent on the gospel, and he began to emphasize the points of Ephesians 2.8, the grace of God, His grandfather couldn't help himself, but he raised up his voice and he said, tell them that again, Charles, tell them that again. And he did. He reminded them again of that great gospel truth that we all need to hear. You see, the gospel, the truths of Scripture, the precious promises that Peter has already talked about are truths that can be easily forgotten on a day-to-day basis. And the only way for them to take root downward and bear fruit upward is that we continually remind ourselves that we fill our minds with the Word of God, that we strive to the goal of meditating day and night in the law of the Lord. So let Peter's ministry of reminding not be in vain, because in effect he has reminded us to remind ourselves that we need to stay in the Word of God and let us heed His heart and discipline ourselves to be always reminding ourselves of God's truth that we might grow in the full knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Well, what made Israel's exodus possible? What enabled them to be delivered out of the land of bondage and darkness and slavery into the promised land. What set them free was a Passover lamb, wasn't it? It was a lamb of God that was slain. It was his blood that was put on the lentils and the top of the door that the avenging angel of death would pass by. That was their redemption. That was the blood that saved them That was the blood that guaranteed their release and freedom from the bondage of Egypt and brought them into the promised land was the blood of the Lamb. And as believers this morning, we now can celebrate our own exodus 
our own deliverance from sin and death through the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, as we await the future glory of entering into the promised land. We're not there yet, but we've been brought out of Egypt. We're kind of in the wilderness stage now, but we've been guaranteed entrance into the promised land because our exodus from the house of slavery into a house of freedom was accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to celebrate right now. The Lord's Supper is for believers. So if you're here this morning and you are not a believer and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ alone, then please let the elements pass you by and reflect upon your own condition before God. You have broken His commandments. You've violated His laws. And there is a day of judgment that is coming. And as sure as I'm standing before you this morning, there is a day of judgment coming. And we will either stand on that day in our sin and having to give an account before a holy God for every sin we've committed, or we've had our sins transferred to Christ and He's taken away the punishment and the penalty and the judgment and the curse and the wrath. And that is the choice that you have. And you need to choose life, as we read in Joshua earlier. You need to turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ who alone can save you. And we pray that you will. May this be the day of your exodus out of the slavery and bondage under Satan and the darkness of Egypt into the, the life and freedom of Christ. May this be your day of salvation.